Good morning, church. <clears throat> My name is Martin. I'm part of the Young Adults Community Group here, and I have the privilege of reading uh, scripture today. Uh, this week, we continue our study of Hebrews. Today's God, today, God's grace offers rest to all who believe in his promise and provision to unplug from places of false rest to plug into him for true rest. Jesus invites all who are weary to come to him. Hear the word of the Lord. Please follow uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and, so, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For who has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All flesh is grass and all its beauty fades. It's like the flower of the field. Good morning, church. It's a joy to worship with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please keep it open to Hebrews chapter 4? If you want a Bible, uh, we have a couple of stacks here on the side. Uh, you're welcome to come grab one. If you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those Bibles and keep it uh, as a gift from us to you, free of charge. There's only one word for that. What's that word? Value. Value. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Drink deeply of it, my friends. Uh, all right. So this morning, uh, we're going to continue this exposition that the author of Hebrews has been uh, doing of Psalm 95 in application to this early church that was dominantly Jewish and highly persecuted. Uh, the, uh, the exposition has been anchored in this ancient invitation to God's people to rest, the place, the promised land. Uh, it, it we'll find is, is more than that. It, it's a promise of eternal rest that is uh, embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to find unique application because all of us are weary in life. It's just almost a characteristic uh, of, of living in this day and age in our country. If you are ready to get off uh, the buck and ride that is life, you know, you feel like you can't hold on for eight seconds because you're working more than 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then hear this invitation 
to rest in Christ. If you are holding tight and you're looking for hope, Jesus comes to you and he offers himself, saying, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Rest is a very rare commodity. And God's word and his grace invite us to find rest in him. Uh, a few weeks ago, I grabbed a book to reread, Augustine's Confessions. It's a, a Western classic. If you're interested, this version's put out uh, by Penguin Classics. It's a, it's a good version. I made it through the first eight sections of it. I didn't make it through all of it. But uh, I was reminded of how appropriate it is to talk about this great leader in church history, one of the most pivotal people uh, in all of church history, lived late 300s, early 400s, um, and his memoir, you know, he wrote a memoir of his life, like before it was cool to write memoirs. And he was an extremely restless person until he became a Christian. Uh, he doesn't explicitly say why he wrote this book, but most people believe He's so bold and so blunt uh, about his sins and his struggles in his life. This book, The Confession, it details his sins. That He wants to be clear that God's grace is for anyone who has done anything and come from anywhere. And they need to find forgiveness and rest. I was reading this on a trip uh, on an airplane sitting by uh, some folks from this church and I started, I started laughing. And someone was like, what are you reading? And I began to explain to them and I couldn't explain it so I decided to read them a passage of what I was reading and they actually blushed. True. St. <laughs> Augustine's detailed confession of his life is phenomenally inspiring. I'll tell you why. He talks about simple things like stealing a pear, a fruit, from a tree, uh, just stealing, just to steal, no other reason, has no need, didn't even eat it, but he just stole it to put it down because that was his fallen nature. He unpacks simple things like that to talk about just the sinful ways of the human heart, but he also goes into more explicit details about his mit mistress, his marriage, his illegitimate child. And he goes as far to say, this is kind of coded but kind of straight at the same time, that he bathed in a cauldron of illicit sex and he enjoyed every minute of it. He gets pretty graphic in talking about different baths he took in this cauldron, we'll say, to keep his family friendly. Okay? And he's very clear. None of these activities gave him the rest that his heart was longing for. He goes on to talk about the emptiness of relationships, the restlessness that he had uh, from a, what I would just say the addiction that he had uh, with his cauldron activities, his emptiness that he had from trying to achieve an uh, intellectual prowess, and understanding different philosophies and worldview at the time, food, uh, social prominence, family, friendship. He is restless to the point where it bothers you. And it's not, you know, it's not hidden the whole time. It's on the first page of his book. 
he says when he actually found rest. He says, God, we're created by you and for you, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In Augustine's conversion that's detailed at the end of section eight, again, in my, in my rereading of this, that's as far as I got, it's, it's really appropriate for us because he's describing himself and his despondency and he hears children crying out, tole lege, tole lege, tole lege. In Latin, that means take and read, take and read, take and read. And he took the Bible and he read it. He opened it up to Romans chapter 13. He read verses 13 and 14. At the end of verse 14, it says, make no provision for the flesh, foot of flesh and all of its lusts. And like a two-edged sword that pierced his soul, he found rest. Rest in the word of God. Rest in the person of God, Jesus Christ. Rest in the work of God, forgiveness. Understanding that he was created by God. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. As we continue to unpack this author's exposition of Psalm 95, I want to challenge you to truly put yourself under the authority of God's word, examine your heart and what you need to unplug from so that you can plug into true and deep rest that's found in Christ alone. Now, before we unpack the word of the Lord, will you go with me to the Lord of the word and ask for his blessing on the study, will you? Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. We are your people. We ask for your spirit to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive. We don't just want to be inspired, but we truly want to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's walk through this passage together, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, anchors it to what has gone before. And you see in this first passage, this first section of the verse, that the promise of God still stands. The promise of entering his, that is God's rest, still stands. The offer for rest stands for people who have been rebellious. The, author of the offer of rest stands for people no matter what you've done. The offer of rest stands for people no matter where you've come from. The offer of rest stands for rebels who have rejected God's word and he wants to move you from the burdened and bucking reality of life to give you the blessing of true and deep rest. This is for us. The promise still stands. But the benefit is lost for those who do not believe. It's lost from a lack of faith. Verses 1 to 2. Uh, it still stands, uh, let us fear. Any of you should seem to have failed to have reached it. Good news came to us just as it did to them. That them is the, uh, the Psalm 95 audience of the wilderness generation that we talked about that didn't believe the promise of God's rest and enter the promised land, but they wandered in the wilderness. The end of verse 2. The message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who believed. They failed 
to reach the blessing of the promised land, that place, the the settled reality of security that God offered his people because they didn't believe it. It didn't benefit them so that they were barred from it. They forfeited the promise because they rejected God's word. Now, we can all identify with this in some capacity. Has anyone here been given a gift card in the past year? Raise your hand if you've been given a gift card. Absolutely almost everybody. I feel sorry my heart goes out for a couple of you that didn't raise your hand. I'll I'll have a (laughs) gift card for you later. You're still loved. Here's the deal with a gift card. You get given a gift card and you're like, oh, thanks for a little piece of plastic with a name of a restaurant or Amazon or whatever on it. If you don't believe that that little piece of of plastic is actually worth money, if you don't believe it and actually take it and try to cash it in for some food or for something, it does not benefit you. In fact, lots of people have stacks of gift cards, just forfeited blessings, because they just don't believe that it's worth the effort. They don't believe it's worth the time. They don't believe it. In the same way, We forfeit the promises of God when we don't believe the invitation of God. We don't believe the offer of God. We don't believe that God really wants to give us rest. Blessing, then, the other side of it, verse 3, is claimed through belief. If we forfeit the blessing because we don't believe, we claim the best blessing than when we we do believe. Look at at verse 3. It's clear. For we who have believed enter the rest. (laughs) It's pretty simple. When you believe that that card is worth something and try to cash it in, then you experience the reward. If you don't believe, you forfeit the reward. Did you know last year in California, there's an active lawsuit around this, uh, but last year somebody won the lottery for over $26 million dollars but they accidentally washed the ticket down the drain. And they said they did this in the gas station where they bought it, and everything's on videotape except actually where they washed it in the bathroom. And so now they're trying to prove that they actually have this legitimate access to this amazing lottery reward of $26 million. Totally life-changing. And the courts are deciding whether or not this person can have the reward without the ticket. Well, here's the verdict the true verdict. It's in. If you don't believe that God's going to give you rest, you're never going to get the reward. You have to have faith. We live in a world where I did a little bit of research on lost lottery money and other unclaimed prizes. It is estimated that there's $2 billion a year in America that's forfeited from unclaimed prizes, including in the past 25 years, these large sums, 63 million lost uh, from a lotto in California unclaimed, 77 million from Georgia, 68 million from New York, 51.7 million from Indiana. All because they didn't have the ticket to prove that they were the winners. Christians have the ticket. We believe And the reward is far greater, a much greater rest than winning the lottery. They say the first thing you're supposed to do when you win the lottery, you know what it is? Hire a lawyer. Because a lot of people are going to come asking for money. That's not that restful. When you have true rest in the Lord, oh, you're free from those worries and anxieties. It is a promise that's available And that promise is for today. That's the next thing that we see. You know, God's word is clear. 2 Corinthians 1.20, 
all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness, the the place of of the promised land that was for God's people, that was forfeited by everybody but Joshua and Caleb and uh, uh, who died in the wilderness that didn't make it. That fullness of the promise is the person of Jesus Christ. And he wants to give blessing to us. Today is the appointed day, verses 6 in seven, it really, it couldn't be more clear that the author of Hebrews wants us uh, to enter into this rest today. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of obedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying that through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The appointed day for us to enter into the rest is today. And the promise for us is greater than that of the promised land. Uh, We see that all through this section, but most clearly we see it beginning in verse 8. First, just by way of reminder, Psalm 95 was actually written by David. He wrote this as a song of worship for the people of God in his generation and generations to come. And this psalm was called to invite people to celebrate the goodness and grace of God, to recognize our rebellion, and to believe so that we can enter into the rest. It was based on this wilderness generation. And the admonition of David's psalm, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear this invitation, do not harden your hearts. It was referring to real promises of God. But this author, you have to get it, beyond our rebellion, he wants it to be relevant to you and to I. Relevant to this early church and relevant to me. The object for the author of Hebrews is Jesus. But he points to a greater rest that comes even from the promised land. And this is an eternal promise that's found in Christ alone. Eternal rest. And if we keep reading Hebrews, we'll get to Hebrews chapter 11. And he refers to heaven as a better country, a far off heavenly home. The city that Abraham was living for, whose architect, his builder is God. That's a place of of eternal and total rest. A rest from all the sin in this world, a rest from all the struggles, a rest from all the pain and the problems, a rest from all of our labors, a rest from all of our fears. Those are going to be true in eternity. Secure salvation. But the foretaste of that, the already reality of that, is found in the person of God. That is Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, Look how specific the location of rest is from this passage, verse 3 and 5. Again, he says, uh, verse 3, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Back down in verse 5. They shall not enter my rest. And it is in verse 8 described as a rest that God alone gives. It's an immensely personal place of rest, an intimate invitation 
that is offered through a personal relationship with the living God. It's my rest, says God, offered to you. Now, in the promised land, if you go back to places like Joshua 21, 43 to 45, it is, God is the source of rest. He says that God gives rest from his enemies on all sides. But you realize when you read the narrative, there's actually enemies that still exist in the promised land. They didn't clean out all of them. And so that rest is, is not something you can fully lean into. There's a little anxiety knowing that the enemy is still around. The source of rest that comes in the promised land is replaced with a person who is that rest, God himself. And this is why Jesus says to us, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And right here in this section, the author uh, begins to, to make a transition all up until this point, he's been using for rest, beginning in chapter 3. Started, this argument started in chapter 3, verse 7. And in verse 18 and 4.1 and chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, he's used one Greek word for rest. And that word is katapausis. And now, in verse 9, he transitions to a different word. And that word is sabbatismos. It's the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. And it is intended to take us to a person, Jesus, that is a practice of Sabbath. This gift of Sabbath rest. So then there remains this foretaste of the eternal, secure salvation and promise of God. Verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is a settled reality, a secure foretaste of the eternal salvation of God that is a Sabbath rest. And it's available for all who believe. And the final thing that we see is that because of God's grace, we're called to pursue the promise of rest in personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we pursue it? First, we pursue it with hope. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This striving, this diligence to enter, this intentionality is something that we lean into with hope. Sabbath is a person, Jesus Christ, who says, I am therefore the Lord of the Sabbath. It is also a practice for the people of God to intentionally prepare by unplugging from the difficulties and the realities of this world so that we can plug in to the promises and the person of Jesus Christ, his word and his work so that we can have deep rest. You know, oftentimes rest is something that finds us rather than us finding rest. You look at some Sabbath commandments and uh, about rest in the Old Testament and they're pretty intense. God's like, hey, if you don't obey the Sabbath, then you're gonna get put to death, you know? And then he moves on. You're like, whoa, like that's intense, God. And the heart of that is like, look, we can either do this the easy way or the hard way. And we know this as Americans. How many of us have worked and worked and worked until we can't carry it anymore and we crumble from anxiety? 
We crumble from fatigue. We crumble from loneliness, physical sickness that is directly caused by finding our identity in work rather than working from a secure identity in Christ. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. You are created with limitations. And if you can't live within those limitations, you will realize you have them one way or another. But we are invited with grace to pursue this rest, rebel, rebellious hearts to find rest in the Lord. We do it with hope, knowing that Jesus is the, not only just a source of rest, but he's a person that offers us an intimate relation. But second, we do it from the heart. Verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, at first glance, you read that and you say, well, that doesn't seem like it has a lot of relevance to what we're talking about. I mean, he's been making an argument for God's people to enter the rest of the person of God, personal relationship and, and rhythms that uh, celebrate the, the eternal rest we're going to have in the Lord. It, it, it's solidifying and anchoring in the soil of the secure salvation we have in our Savior Jesus. I don't know why he's all of a sudden bringing in the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I like taking that passage out and putting it on a picture and just putting it somewhere where I see it a lot. I'm inspired. I don't really know what it means. Here's what it means. That when you actually try to respond to God's grace in a way different than the whole Exodus generation, that is when you choose to not just believe the invitation, but to obey it, then the word of God in the same way that it came into the heart of St. Augustine and pierced him and exposed him, when you try to really obey it, you will see the reasons you don't rest. Let me, let me explain it a little bit, okay? The word of God is really clear on what Sabbath is. Genesis 2.2, it's part of God's garden design. All through the Old Testament, explicitly in Exodus chapter 31, 12 to 17, uh, and even in, in the prophets, all through Ezekiel uh, 21 and other places, uh, not only is Sabbath demonstrated as part of God's design, but Sabbath is demonstrated as a sign of our relationship with God. It's a gift that he gives us when we belong to him. And I don't mean gift like, hey, I want, I want to give you, you know, these rodeo tickets, go have fun, uh, have a late night, and the next day you wake up and you're really tired and exhausted, you don't feel rested, but you had fun, right? Not that kind of gift, but the kind of gift that is, uh, we want, God wants to give you a gift like food so that you can exist. That's the gift. It's a daily bread, a weekly rhythm. And so, like a surgeon, the scalpel of God's word comes in and exposes where we look for rest in places other than Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that says, come to me, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you deep rest. How is God's word living and active? When you choose to hear it, to believe it and obey it, it'll open you up and expose you. Try taking 24 hours a week to unplug. Try taking 24 hours a week to intentionally 
plug in to Jesus. To unplug from the words of your emails, to unplug from the images of social media, to unplug from the, the explicit lie of a consumeristic culture that you are what you produce and you are what you have and that your significance is found in your status, unplug from those words and plug into the work of God and you will find that as soon as you put this thing down and you say, I'll see you in a day, all of a sudden your heart... (laughs) (laughs) Do you see what happens? No, please stay seated. I'm serious. There is such a high level of casualties that come when our hearts are exposed. And I I don't mean like that might have gotten a little more dramatic than I anticipated. (laughs) But I'm telling you, the drama is real. There is a battle for your heart that is far more dangerous than that. There is a fight for your soul far more violent and surprising than that. And you're just going to give yourself to it and not fight it if you don't believe and rest in God. You're going to give yourself to it and continue to be ravaged by it if you don't choose to hear the invitation and obey the steps. You're going to look like a fool in front of everybody if you continue to allow yourself to go at a pace where you will be broken and you will realize your limitations in one way or we can do it the easy way and worship God from it and through it. The gift of the Sabbath is exactly that. It's a loving God who says, I created you in my image and I want to restore you in my image. Yes, I am a working God. I worked on six days. But yes, I am a God who rests. On the seventh day I rested. And when you learn to rest in my grace and rest in my love and rest in my goodness, my word and my work, you will find a source of strength that you never knew was available. You will find riches that you have forfeited because you didn't have the ticket and believed. And you will find the truth of not only what our ancient church fathers say, but what God's word says again and again. Church, you're created by God and for God, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that no one got hurt when that podium fell. (laughs) But we also thank you that your grace welcomes us to come into your presence, to experience your power through really resting in your redemption. Lord, we thank you for the promise that's fulfilled in Christ, that the promise still stands. Would you give us hearts to believe? We thank you that the opportunity is for today. Would you give us a willingness to obey? 
to strive to enter that rest and to believe you for who you are and who you say you are. Because we know that you have already accomplished the work that is necessary for us to have this renewed identity, your life, your death, your resurrection, so that you can restore us into a newness of life. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask for your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.